0: John chapter three, starting verse one, and going through verse eight, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles or signs that thou that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, verily, verily. And that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit.
1: Good morning to everyone. It is great to be here, and I'm thankful that the Lord has given us the opportunity to worship again today. What does it mean to be spiritual? That actually is a bigger question than you might imagine just on the surface because of the variety of answers that would be given uh, to try and, and answer it. Spirituality is seen even from what we might view as a secular standpoint. For example, one definition that I found defines spirituality this way. It defines it as being a broad concept with room for many perspectives, but in general, it includes a sense of connection to something bigger than ourselves, and it typically involves a search for meaning of life. Being spiritual or spirituality is something that you're going to see described in the modern culture, the popular culture, in a number of different ways. You're going to see things that are connected with various Eastern religions that uh, are connected with being spiritual. You may even remember some time ago, I think it was maybe back in the late uh, 2010s, or early the first 10 years of 2000, yeah, how do you say that? Anyway... You may remember the movement uh, that was described as being spiritual but not religious. The idea was to find some way to be spiritual all by yourself, disconnected from any sort of group or what we might describe as organized religion. Back where I come from in East Texas, the way that that would be described is if you went to someone and said, hey, you know, we really missed you in worship today, they might say, well, I was worshiping God all by myself while I was out fishing on the lake this weekend. That's the idea of being spiritual but not religious. And that is how, in a very general sense, uh, spirituality might be defined from a secular standpoint. But now, as we zoom in to a definition as it relates to Christianity, what does it mean to be spiritual? Well, again, that might be described in a number of different ways. Some folks might describe or judge being spiritual from the standpoint of an attitude or even an emotion. Maybe maybe a person would describe being spiritual or more spiritual as, I went to a worship service and I was moved more by that worship service than maybe I was moved by another worship service. And so that was a spiritual or a more spiritual experience, you see. We take spirituality sometimes and we define it in a very subjective, subjective way. So what does it really mean to be spiritual? Well, of course, the Bible tells us what it means to be spiritual, but the Bible also tells us that it is incredibly important to be spiritual. For example, in Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul said that to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Now, that passage alone tells me if being spiritual or being spiritually minded is life and peace, that it's something that really needs to capture my attention because I am interested in life and peace. But the Bible defines spirituality as someone who, for example, offers spiritual sacrifices. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. A spiritual person is someone who is uh, someone who subjects themselves to the will of God. Romans chapter 8 verses 1 and following. Romans chapter 10 verse 1 and 2. A spiritual person is someone in whom the fruit of the Spirit is produced. Galatians chapter 5. Now I hope as uh, time will allow in the uh, Sundays to come that the Lord will provide us an opportunity to look at all of these different uh, texts and passages that have to do with being spiritual. But this morning, here's what we want to think about. Spirituality or being a spiritual person, just like everything else, has a beginning. We might say that as New Testament Christians, our desire on a daily basis is to be more spiritual But to be more spiritual on a daily basis obviously implies that it has to begin somewhere, and indeed it does. I hope that you have your Bibles open to John chapter 3 this morning, and if you don't, yet I encourage you to do so because this passage will tell us that being spiritual means a spiritual birth. That's the beginning point. If I'm going to be a spiritual or a spiritually minded person, if I'm going to know what it is to be engaged in true spirituality, that begins with a spiritual birth. And that's what's being described in John chapter 3 in this conversation that unfolds between Jesus and Nicodemus. I want you to notice with me first of all that Jesus tells Nicodemus... Jesus says in verse number 3, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Let's focus in on that passage first. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now here's where we get our language about a birth. He's talking about being born again. It's a rebirth or a second birth, if you will. It's a spiritual birth. But what does that mean? You must be born again. Well, the Bible has another word that it uses to describe the process or the concept of being born again, and that word is conversion. The word is conversion. The word conversion or the idea of being converted basically means to turn. It means to turn or it means to change. So the Bible will talk about repentance Repent and be converted, Acts chapter 3 and verse number 19. Repentance, literally defined, is a change of mind that leads to a change of action. Repent, Peter said in Acts 3:19, or change and be converted, meaning literally repent or change and turn. Well, turn from what to what? Turn from darkness to light. Turn from walking in a way of sin or living our lives for sin to walking in, in light or living our lives for righteousness. Listen to Acts 14 and verse 15. The apostle Paul made this statement. He said, men, why are you doing uh, these things? We also are men with you of the same nature as you and we preach, listen to this, that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and sea and all that is therein turn from these useless things. What is he talking about? He's talking about idolatry. He's saying to these folks, listen, the the will of God is that you turn away from idols and you walk toward the living God. Listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 to 10, another passage where the Apostle Paul talks about conversion These passages will help us to have an idea of what it means to turn. He says in verse number 9, For they themselves, he's talking about those in Macedonia, they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and listen to this, how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. So in these two passages, what have we learned? What? How do these two passages describe conversion or describe turning? They define it as turning away from idolatry or literally that which is not God. Idolatry can be anything. In this particular day and age of which we're reading in the Bible, of course, we recognize that idolatry was a carved piece of stone or carved wood into some shape, some statue, if you will, some image and Men worship those things. That was idolatry. But you remember Colossians 3, 5 tells us that covetousness is idolatry. So idolatry, generally speaking, can basically be anything that is not God, but people make it God. So conversion or turning means turn away from that which is not God to God. Well, let's look at another passage. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And Paul is going to be even more specific. What does it mean in a more specific way for a person to be converted or to turn? Look at 1 Corinthians 6. Let's read together beginning in verse 9. 1 Corinthians 6 beginning in verse 9. Listen to what Paul says. He says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. This is a a perfect passage to define what repentance and what conversion is all about. Notice in verse 9 and 10, the Apostle Paul mentions a number of different sinful lifestyles. These are sinful activities or sinful lifestyles. And he says, listen, these kinds of lifestyles will not inherit the kingdom of God. But look at the first phrase of verse number 11. What is it? And such were some of you. That's past tense. The implication is, These kinds of lifestyles will not enter the kingdom of heaven. They're not acceptable to God. And you used to do these things, but not anymore. You were practicing and living in this way, but not anymore. Such were some of you, verse number 11, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. You were washed and you were justified and you were sanctified. It has to do with obeying the gospel. They were baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. They were put in a right relationship with God, justified, made justified, never sinned. And they were sanctified. They were set apart for the purposes of God. They're now God's holy people. This is conversion. This is turning. When Jesus says you must be born again in John 3 and verse 3, he is talking about conversion, which means one turns away from sin. That we turn away from the love of sin. That we turn away from the purposes of sin. That we turn away from the practices of sin. But listen to Romans 6 and verse number 11. In Romans 6 verse number 11, Paul really puts a capstone on this entire discussion. He says, likewise you also reckon yourselves indeed to be dead unto sin, but alive unto Jesus Christ our Lord. That's turning, that's conversion. We live for idolatry. We live for sin. We live for self. We live for the desires of the flesh. But when we're converted, when we're born again, when we turn, we die to all of those things. We are dead unto sin and we are now alive unto God. And so whatever sort of connections or desires or attachments that we had previously to the things of the world, those things are severed and they're dead and they're gone it's a turning from darkness to light. It's conversion. All right, go back to John chapter 3. Jesus states the fact in verse 3, you must be born again. No one can enter into the kingdom of heaven unless he's born again. That's what Jesus says. Now, we know generally what that means. It's a conversion. It's a turning from, light, or from darkness to light. But now, here's the question. How is it accomplished? And that was Nicodemus's question too. Look at verse 4. Nicodemus said to him, how, how is this possible? How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Nicodemus is thinking physically. He's thinking on a physical plane here. Jesus is talking about being born again, and Nicodemus is thinking about physical birth. And he's saying, that's impossible. Once you're born and you grow up to be an adult, you can't, you can't go back and start the process all over again. Well, Jesus is not talking about a physical birth, look at verse 5. Jesus is talking about a spiritual birth. Jesus says, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, notice the language, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I want you to notice in verse 5 that Jesus is not making a suggestion and Jesus is not offering one of a multitude of possibilities. Jesus is saying there is one and only one way that a person can enter into the kingdom of heaven, and that is being born of the water and the Spirit. That's the only way that it's possible. Well, what does it mean to be born of the water and the Spirit? Let's break it down and look at it in in its two parts. First of all, Jesus says you have to be born of the water. Well, what water is he talking about? Well, he's talking about the water of baptism. Baptism. Write down these passages in your Bible or on your notes. Do you know that by the time Jesus has this conversation, that John the Baptizer, according to Mark chapter 1, verses eight to 10, and John chapter three, verse 23, John the Baptist has already been baptizing, immersing in water. Mark 1, eight to 10, and John three in verse 23. Water was part uh, immersion in water was part of the work that God sent John to do. But then notice in your Bibles, Acts chapter 8, verse 36 to 39. In Acts chapter 8, verses 36 to 39, we have the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch. And you remember that the Bible tells us that Philip joined to the chariot of the Ethiopian eunuch. And he asked him what he was reading and if he could understand it. And the eunuch said, well, how can I unless someone help me? And so the Bible tells us that beginning at the passage that he was reading from Isaiah 53 that Philip preached unto him, Jesus. And then when they came unto water, the eunuch said, see, here's water. What's keeping me from being baptized? Notice the connection, water and baptism. Notice also the immediate nature of the request. It wasn't let me wait till I get home to Ethiopia. It's look, here it is. Let's stop right now. What's keeping us from stopping right now and taking care of this? And so the Bible tells us that both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and and Philip baptized him. Baptism in water, immersion in water, that was part not only of what John the baptizer was doing, but that's also included in what the apostles and what the early church was doing. Read the other conversion accounts in the book of Acts. How about Acts 10 and verse 47? Remember that Cornelius calls for Peter to come to his house because that's what God told him to do. And when Peter arrived and began having a discussion with uh, Cornelius and then uh, Uh, the Holy Spirit came upon Cornelius and his household and and Peter's question in Acts 10 verse 47 is this, what is hindering or what keeps these or forbids these from being what? Baptized, from being immersed in water. 1 Peter chapter 3 in verse 20 and 21 is a very important passage we're talking about being born of water. What does it mean to be born of water? Well, it's talking about being baptized in water. Listen to what 1 Peter 3, 20 and 21 says. It says, um, Who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in, in which a few, that is, eight souls were saved. How were they saved? They were saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Notice the language. Peter says, when we talk about baptism, he says, first of all, it's not the removal of the filth of the flesh. Keep in mind that, as Matt mentioned in Bible class this morning, particularly in the Jewish, uh, in the, the, uh, amongst the children of Israel, the, the nation of Israel, That baptism, ritual baptism, was something that had been practiced for a long, long time. But Peter wants these folks to understand, and us too, that when we talk about baptism, we're not talking about just some ritual. We're not talking about taking a bath even where we wash the dirt off of our flesh. No, no, it's more than that. He says it's the appealing or the answer of a good conscience toward God. But most importantly, what does he say about its power at the beginning of the verse? He says, there is an antitype which now saves us. Notice the language, which now saves us. And he says it's baptism. He says baptism saves us. Being born of the water is a reference simply to being immersed in water, to being baptized. Acts 2 verse 38 says that it's for the forgiveness of our sin... Acts 22 and verse 16 says that in baptism our sin is washed away. Colossians three, excuse me two, and verse 12 says that in baptism, we are buried with Christ in baptism and also raised with Him through the working or through the operation of God. Baptism saves us, 1 Peter 3 and verse 21. It's absolutely essential. There's no question about it. And the New Testament, the Bible itself, it is not ambiguous on this point. To be born of water is to be baptized, to be immersed for the forgiveness of our sins. But now what's the second part? Jesus said to be born again, you have to be born of the water, but he says you also have to be born of the Spirit. What's that all about? Well, here's the answer. He is telling us that the Spirit is instrumental in producing this new birth that he's describing. But how does that happen? Well, in order to answer that question, let's remind ourselves of a few points or a few items about the role of the Spirit. Would you look at John 14 for a moment, John 14 and verse 23? I want to look at two passages from this context in John 14 through 16 and then uh, add some things to it. Now, as we read these passages, I want you to ask this question in your mind. The question is this. What is Jesus saying that the responsibility or the job of the Spirit would be? What is the Spirit's job? Listen to John 14, 23. Jesus is speaking to the apostles, and he says this. If anyone loves me, excuse me, uh, if anyone loves me, uh, he will, uh, I'm sorry, we need to read verse 26. I keep saying 23, but it's 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, when the Father will send, uh, who the Father will send in my name, listen to this, he will teach you all things and he will bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. Now remember our question, what is the role of the spirit? How is Jesus describing his job? Jesus says to the 12 apostles, here's his job. He will teach you and he will bring to your remembrance the things that I have said to you. Okay, now look at John uh, chapter 16 and verse 8. John chapter 16 and verse 8. What does Jesus say about the spirit? John 16 and verse 8. He says, when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. What's the job of the spirit? His job, verse 26 of chapter 14, is to teach and bring to the apostles' remembrance the things that they have been taught. His job, John 16 and verse number 8, is to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Now, how does he do it? Look with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2 and let's see an example of how the Spirit does exactly what Jesus said the Spirit was going to do. Acts chapter 2, the Bible tells us in the first three verses, uh, first four verses, that the apostles, the same ones whom Jesus was speaking to in John 14, 15, and 16, that they were all assembled together in Jerusalem and that the Holy Spirit came upon them and that they began to speak in Tongues. And the Bible defines tongues in this context as languages which they had never before learned. It's as if I were to stand up and immediately have a perfect commanding knowledge of French or German or Spanish and be able to speak those languages without ever having studied them before in all of my life. That's, that's what speaking in tongues is all about. So then in verse number 14, the Bible tells us that Peter and the other 11, they stand up and they began preaching the gospel. They're speaking. Verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words and then zoom in on verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Now here's what's happening here. Remember that Jesus said in John 14 and in John 16 that the Spirit's role is going to be to bring to your remembrance and to teach. And his job in John 16, 8 is going to be to convict. In Acts chapter 2, the Spirit came upon the 12 apostles and when they stood up and when they preached the sermon that's recorded for us in the pages of God's Word, they are preaching words not that they invented on their own, they are preaching the words that the holy spirit inspired them to preach he gave them those words if you will and those words verse 22 peter said listen to these what listen to these words and in verse 37 they were pricked or cut to the heart when what when they heard when they heard what when they heard the words that the spirit inspired these apostles to preach so when these Folks, heard the words that were preached. The Bible tells us that those words pricked their hearts. This is the idea of turning. This is the idea of conversion. Their heart is now pricked and the word of God that they heard is producing a change within their heart, within their mind, within their life. And so now they've gone from those who were guilty of crucifying Jesus, as Peter will tell them in this sermon, to those who were saying, what do we need to do to be saved through Jesus? which is also what Peter told them needed to happen in this sermon. You see, the Holy Spirit's job was to reveal the will of God, the Word of God, and it is the Word of God that produces change within us. Jesus said in John 6, verse 62 and 63, It is the Spirit that gives life, and the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1 for a moment. In 1 Peter chapter 1, I think we have the best commentary in all of the Bible on John 3 verse 5. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 22 and following. Listen to what Peter writes. Peter says this, 1 Peter 1 verse 22, since you have been purified, excuse me, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit, stop for a moment, obeying the truth through the spirit. The idea here is that you have obeyed the truth which the spirit gave that's the grammar you obeyed the truth that came from the spirit it's through the spirit it's by the spirit's giving if you will seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit in sincere love of the brethren love one another with a pure heart having been born again wait a minute what did jesus say you cannot inherit the kingdom of God unless you are what? Unless you were born again, right? John 3, verse 3. How can we be born again? Be born of water and the Spirit. John 3, verse 5. What is Peter saying? Peter is describing the process of being born again. Keep reading. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, that's physical birth, but of incorruptible, listen to this, Through the word of God which lives and abides forever. What is it according to 1 Peter 1 verse 23 that produces the birth? It is the word of God which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers, its flower falls away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this was the word which by the gospel was preached to you. The job of the Spirit, according to John 14 and John 16, was to reveal the Word of God. And it is the Word of God that the Spirit has revealed that produces change within us. It is the Word of God that changes our mind and changes our heart and convicts us of our sin. It is the Word of God that prompts us to turn from darkness to light, to be converted, like we described just a little while ago. There are other parallel passages that bring this out besides Acts chapter 2. There's Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25 and 26 which describes the word of God and the washing of water and the sanctifying or cleansing that happens. It's the idea of the word of God pricking our hearts and then we obey what the word of God says which is to be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. There's Titus 3 and verse 5, which speaks of the renewing of the Holy Spirit and the washing of water by the Word. It's the same thing Jesus is describing in John 3 and verse 5. The Holy Spirit uses this Word, according to Ephesians 6 and verse 17, to prick my heart and to convince me of my sin and to change me from the inside out. And when I hear hear that Word, and when I allow that Word to do its work within me, It's going to change me, and I'm going to be be led by the Word of God to obey what God says. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13, by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. That's not talking about Holy Spirit baptism. That's talking about the fact that the Holy Spirit speaks to me through these words that He's inspired, and in this word that the Spirit has given, He said, listen, When you recognize that you're in sin and you're separated from God and you have a desire to be uh, united with God, to be forgiven of your sin, then what you have to do is you have to respond to God in obedience and you have to be baptized in water for the forgiveness of your sin. That's what the Spirit teaches me through this word. And so by the one unified message that the Spirit has produced, we all obey the same words. And if we all obey the same words given by the same Spirit, then we all end up being baptized into the same body. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13. So now I want you to notice one more section in John 3, and then the lesson will be yours. Jesus says in verse 3, if you want to see the kingdom of God, you have to be born again. That's conversion. That's a turning. It's a rebirth. Then he says, here's how you do it, by being Uh, by being born again of the water and the Spirit. That's the idea of the Spirit pricking my heart and convicting me of my sin and producing change within me and then the result of that is my submission to the will of God and I'm baptized for the forgiveness of my sin. Now here's a question. How is all of this possible? You see how Nicodemus asked that question in verse 9. How can these things be? Now, we don't have the time to look at all of the the information here, but I want you to zoom in. I want you to zoom in on verse uh, number 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The reason that this is all possible, the reason why this is the way that God has designed for us to, inherit the kingdom of heaven, is because Jesus came and Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins. You know, it's interesting, we can argue all day long with each other and even with God if we dare to do so about the way that that salvation is attained. But you know, at the end of the day, there's really no point in arguing because the point that Jesus is making and also the point that Paul will make in Romans 9-11 through is, look, God is sovereign, God is their creator, This this is the way that God has designed it to be and so that's just the way that it is. And I'm a human, so I don't have the right to argue with God and try and debate with him about some design or some plan that he's made. The plan that he's made is this. I'm going to send my son into the world and sacrifice him for your salvation. And your job as a human being, God says, is to submit to my will. To believe in the deity of my son, John 3, uh, John 3 and verse 16. To repent of your sins, Acts 3 and verse 19. To confess your faith, Romans 10 verse 9 and 10. And to be baptized in water for the forgiveness of your sins, Mark 16 and verse 16. That's God's will. That's what God wants for all of us. And we started this lesson by talking about spirituality. What does it mean to be a spiritual person? All kinds of answers to that question, and all kinds of people all over the world who are trying to be spiritual. But here's the truth no one can be spiritual without first experiencing a spiritual birth. And the spiritual birth is described in John 3, verse 1 and following. It's being born of the water and the spirit. That is the only way that true spirituality can ever be attained. So this morning, I leave you with this question. Have you been born again? Have you experienced, have you gone through this spiritual birth? If not, why not? What are you waiting for? We stand ready and willing to help you this morning in obeying the gospel and being born again and becoming a child of God Maybe you're a Christian today, though, and you're thinking, you know what, I am a Christian and I have been born again, but you know what, I'm not the spiritually-minded person that I ought to be. I have not been honoring God in my words and in my thoughts and in my actions, and so therefore, I want to make that right, and I want to rededicate, as it were, my life to the service of God. We'd, we'd, We'd love that. We'd love to pray for you and to help you. We're going to sing the invitation song now. So if you have need... We invite you to come forward and let it be known while we stand and sing together.